0: Um, but I'm we're we're about to get started, and I am standing in the living room of Carlos and Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, Carlos and Michelle have been friends of ours since probably 2002 when we first moved to Stoughton. Um, their their son Jake and uh, our oldest son Garrett are the same age, and they were in soccer together. And Carlos and I became soccer dad buddies. And uh, I think I've told this story before, but it was on uh, Halloween. The the day before, the, the week before we we started Grace Church in 2005, that that Carlos and his son Jake were on our porch, and um, I wanted to invite them to come to our church service that was opening up that next week at the Holiday Inn in Crackton, but I was nervous. It's kind of like sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger about God than it is somebody that you're going to see all the time because you're afraid that the, the relationship's going to get weird, and they're going to keep seeing you, and now they won't talk to you. So that's kind of like the situation I was in. And uh I felt like in my heart I should invite them to church, but then I didn't because I was terrified. And so they said, trick-or-treat, I just gave them candy and they walked off the porch. I'm like, I should invite them, I should invite them and I I wouldn't do it. And then they get across the street and I said, I should invite them, I should invite them, but I wouldn't do it. And then uh they, they leave Glenn and Tiffany's house, who by the way, Glenn and Tiffany were the very first people uh to be in our Bible study, which ended up becoming uh a church. And um uh, then they started walking down the street, and uh, I said, I shouldn't invite them. They're like, no, now they're too far away. And, and I felt like God was saying to me, Sean, if you as the lead pastor of this church can't invite somebody that you genuinely love and care about to find and follow me through your church family, then why in the world should you expect anybody else to do that? So I took off. Uh, I, I left, the, I opened up the door, ran down the steps across the street, and caught up to Carlos and Michelle about three three houses down. And I said, hey, and I caught up to him and said, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we're starting a church next week. And uh, Michelle slapped Carlos on the arm and said, uh, what? I, like, see, we were just talking about this yesterday. We need to get our boys into church, and we just didn't know where to go. Carlos and Michelle came that next Sunday, and uh, a few months later, Carlos committed to faith in Jesus at a Texas Hold'em Bible study. So that's proof that poker is from Jesus. Um, okay, <laughs> that might be blasphemous. I don't know if I should have said that. But we had a Texas Hold'em Bible study, and it was at one of those where it became clear in Carlos's heart that he was a devoted father of Jesus. And uh, it was in this kitchen that we planned our first mission trip uh, to Burma uh, in like 2000, I want to say six or seven. And now here we are going old school back in Carlos and Michelle's uh, house again for church today. So it's been kind of neat. All right. I, I hope you guys have uh, are, are, are getting ready to get started. Uh, normally we spend some time in prayer before we get into the teaching. And uh, this weekend is, isn't is going to be any different. So we're, we're going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, today, uh, since we're kicking up old school, Uh, I'm going to mention my buddy Glenn, my neighbor across the street. I don't know if he's watching us right now or not, but he's in the hospital. And this is like his second or third time in the past few months to be at the hospital Um, with just some stuff. And he's supposed to come home today, so uh, it's not like life-threatening. But but we're going to pray for him, that, that God heals his body, gives the doctors some insight as to how they can help him also if they can get on top of this before it becomes a big problem. And um, if, if you're needing prayer, then what I'll have you do is private message us right now. So while I'm praying for Glenn, uh, I'll be generically praying for any of you guys. Uh, and and uh, so like if, if that's you, like if you need prayer right now, put your hand on your heart, and then my prayer is just going to be, God, whoever is right now watching the service, with their hand over their heart, meet that need also. If you want to include us in what's going on in your life so that we can be praying for you later on this week, um, like I said, send a private message uh, to our, our Facebook uh, messenger, and um, we'll pull those together in a list like we do every weekend when you show up in person, and we'll be praying for you throughout throughout the week. So uh, let's, let's pray right now. God, I'm, I'm thankful for... Uh, the technology that we have to still have church, even when we can't get together in a building. I think it's kind of funny that for 1900 years, the church survives Mm -hmm. uh, persecution and hardship and famine and disease. But nowadays we lose electricity and we we lose our our flipping minds. Um, uh, God, I'm I'm thankful for the blessings that we have. I, I do want to pray for uh, the overall church at large that are meeting in parts of the world where they don't have the religious freedoms that we have here, uh, they they may be persecuted or they are doing without and they're not sure where their next meal is coming from. God bless them, meet their needs, give them greater influence in their communities, and I know honestly that when when hardship comes, the church that's when the church thrives and um god i'm just asking your will to be done in their lives thank you for uh, our ability uh, uh to, to be blessed and to be a blessing to others um i'm specifically praying today for uh glenn and uh that you would just give him strength help the doctors to figure out what's going on and uh, help him not to be mad at me for bringing up his name in front of our entire church family because i know he's going to be embarrassed and ticked uh, but god you're good and you love him so so heal that guy For every person right now who's a part of this service, whether they're watching it live or they're watching it after it's already over, who have their hand over their heart right now, God, you know exactly what their needs are. You know the brokenness in their lives physically or spiritually, and I'm asking you to heal them. Um, Bring them through this. I know that you don't rescue us from trouble. You carry us through trouble. You don't keep us from pain. You leverage that pain for something good. What Satan brings into our life to ruin us, you twist to build us. God, that's what I'm asking you to do. Take what we're going through. Help it to grab our attention. Focus that attention on you and help us to become the people you intended us to be as a result of going through this. That's our prayer. God, that's our prayer for what we're going through right now. That's also our prayer for the teaching that we're about to get into. I ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. All right, so today we're wrapping up the uh, uh, fifth week in this uh, the Game of Life series. Uh, This isn't the way that we had pictured it ending, but we're going to trust that this is the way God intended it to be all along, so we're cool. Um, The idea for this series came from a summer vacation that we had this past summer. My daughter, who's now a freshman at college, uh, actually, she's on spring break, and she's driving to—it doesn't matter. Uh, She's on the road today, so if you think about it, pray for Lauren to be safe, but— uh, we, we, She had this game, you know, the, the game of life. It's a board game that I grew up with. That now is on. It's an app for your cell phone, and she yells in the back, "Oh crap!" Uh, and I asked, "You know, you know, what's the matter?" And she said that she had had a kid in the game, and so now she was going to lose in life. Uh, and I just thought that that was a, like, wow, like like what a perspective that children would be a threat to our happiness or success in life. But the way that the game is played is that the, the player who ends the game with the most money wins. So if you have a kid, they obviously take money to raise so that would negatively impact your ability to win if the way that you win is by keeping score with money. So I said, I like I, I wonder how many of us, uh, like like truthfully, that's, that's a common theme. Like I, I, I think that most, most of us in our hearts would say that we we don't win like whoever has the most money wins like I think in our hearts we would say that that isn't true it's just that we haven't told our brains that uh, because most of our decisions are tend to be filtered through that primary filter of, of of money. So what we want to do is we want to take the, the five components of that game and break that up into a five-week series. So in the first week, uh, we talked about marriage and dating and the single life because in that game early on, uh, you get married. And then right after that, you know you roll a dice, and it tells you whether or not you're going to have a kid. And So we talked about parenting, and we talked about how to be a godly kid. All of us are a kid of somebody. not all of us are necessarily uh, a parent. So that was that was what we talked about that week. The next week, uh, Pastor Stephen from Grace Bridgewater uh, spoke on the other players in the game how that they are not our opponents, that they are not obstacles. That impede our progress toward the agenda. That they are the actual agenda themselves. And then last week uh, we talked about our work and how that we often see work as a as a necessary evil, whereas biblically uh, work had always been a part of God's plan. And and rather rather uh, that that work isn't. Uh, isn't the means to an end as much as it was the means by which we'll be made more godly in the end. And then today, uh, we're talking about how we keep score in life, uh, which is which is money. So we're talking about money, and it's how we keep score. So uh, right now, while you're watching this, raise your hand if if you if you if you need money to to live. Right, raise your hand right now. Some of you guys are all by yourself. And, and you've got your cell phone out and your hand is up and you feel ridiculous, uh, but, but don't, you're playing along. So raise your hand if you need money, uh, raise your hand. If you need more money and raise your hand a little bit higher. <laughs> some of you guys are like, I need, I need, a... <laughs> we, got, we got like all the hands up. We want to like, like we, we, we know that we, how many of you guys are like, listen, money's not my problem. I just need some freaking heat in my house. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Cause <laughs> that's us. <laughs> we, we've got no heat. We've, we've got a generator. And it's right now powering our, our refrigerator and we can unplug the fridge and plug in the coffee maker. And we can unplug the coffee maker and, and turn on a little little area heater. Uh, so that's that's what we've got right now. So um so sometimes the the problem isn't money. It's it's and no amount of money I don't think right now would get these guys out to our street to fix it any any sooner. Um but but the truth is uh it's it, it is easier to yield, I think, for me, um and probably for you in every area of our life to God than it is in in this area of money. Like I can yield to God. Like you'll trust God with your prayers, right? You trust God with your prayers. You if if you have kids, you know, we we pray to God and you know, we raise our kids to know and to follow Jesus and and we trust God with our with our with our kids. Um, you know, when we, when we, when we get sick, you know, we trust God with, with our sickness. We trust God with the flu. We trust God with cancer. We trust God with, with eternity. Like we trust God, uh, to rescue us from the eternity separated from him and hell to spend with him. Like we can trust God with like prayers, our kids, cancer, heaven and hell. Uh, but we just don't trust him with our, with our money. Like it's, it seems to be the most difficult area of our life in which to trust God. And and as proof, some of us feel very uncomfortable that I'm even talking about this right now. And you might be thinking, I'm really glad this is the service that isn't in person, and I get to watch it at home, and because it's an abbreviated service, so it's shorter anyway. And so all of those things might be like a relief to you, but that only highlights the fact that this is like one of the biggest barriers to our ability to trust God in our whole life. But we're not the first ones to have this problem. In fact, this problem shows up in the book of Genesis. Um, And and so this entire series, we've been going back to the first book of the Bible uh, to show God's perspective on life. And and truthfully, our inability uh, to look at our stuff uh, uh, through God's eyes is the second sin ever recorded in the entire Bible. The first sin in the Bible was when mankind decided that God could not be trusted. And the second sin comes right after that one, or I would even say comes from that one. And it was the view that my stuff is more important to me than God is important to me. You see this in Genesis chapter four. So if you guys have a uh, cell phone, or excuse me, yeah, if you have a cell phone, you probably won't be able to switch back and forth. But if you have a laptop right now, you might be able to pull up uh, the Bible app on on another part of the screen and read along. But in Genesis chapter four, I'm going to start reading in verse one. Where it says, uh, Adam and Eve became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, and she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Now when they grew up, Cain and Abel, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, and this is an important word, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. That was the offering that he gave to God. Some of his his crops to the Lord. But but look how it contrasts uh, uh, with Abel's offering. Abel also brought a gift. The best portions of the firstborn lambs, like all of the firstborn lambs uh, from his flock. So the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And that made Cain angry, the Bible says, and he looked dejected. So God comes up and he says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? Uh, You will be accepted if you do what is right. Uh, But but if you refuse to do what is is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Or the inference is, or it will subdue you and become your master. So so here's why Abel's offering was accepted. Now, Now listen, both of them gave an offering to God. But the offering wasn't what was important to God. Like like the actual material value of the gift that was being given what had never been the issue. We've talked about this in Grace a lot. What God wants most from us is our heart. It's just that our heart follows our money, our resources. So uh, when it came to Cain and his relationship with God, he he, he, he looks at his produce and, and and decides how much of this he can spare. And that's what he gives to God. Abel, on the other hand, has has a, a male and female sheep. And that male and female sheep give birth to a, a baby sheep. And what he does before he finds out if they will ever have any other sheep, he takes that one sheep. The first sheep, the only sheep that that mama and daddy sheep have ever made, and he automatically offers that as an offering to God. Like that's faith, man. To like take like the like this is all I have. It's just the first one. Now he doesn't wait and say, like. Are there going to be ten sheep?s They, <laughs> sorry, my, I told my wife earlier when I said sheep,s she said, you know, plural for sheep is still just sheep, right? So he didn't wait to find out. Am I going to have ten sheep, and then I'll give that first one to God? That's not what he did. What he did was is when that first sheep came out, before he found out if he was ever even going to get the other nine, he gives that first one as a sacrifice to God. And that's what God said. What? Like, are you kidding? Like, that is amazing. That's love. Like, that's that's generosity that comes from a pure heart. When somebody has one and only one thing and they give that to you, dude, that, that act of generosity tells you exactly where their heart is. And that's what pleased God is that Abel got one sheep first. It was the firstborn. The firstborn of every pairing of sheep went right to God, and God goes, this kid gets it. He knows the source of every good thing in his life, and I know where his heart is, and I can tell where his heart is by what he does with his resources. Cain, on the other hand, he wasn't going to give God the first and the best because he wanted to make sure he could cover his own butt. So he waits until he gets his crops, And then he picks some. What don't I need? What could I do without? Which also said something about his heart. God presented Cain with a choice. He says, do you love me more? Do you love your stuff more? And Cain chose poorly. And he made an excuse for it. And truthfully, we've been making the same choices that Cain has been making all along and giving excuses for it, just like he did. This issue is so important to God. That Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Uh, our, our money is a thermometer of our hearts. It's not like our money tells us where our heart already is, according to Jesus. It's the thermostat. Um, when we turn up the, uh, the, the giving, our, our giving, it turns up the temperature of our heart. Where our treasure goes, our heart follows, So the the money doesn't show where our heart is. The money tells our heart where to be. That's what Jesus said. Uh, There's there's a a really cool story, and this is the main passage of Scripture that we're getting to in the book of Luke. Uh, There were two separate days back-to-back where Jesus met two separate rich men back-to-back who had two completely different responses to Jesus back-to-back. The first guy is in Luke chapter 18, verse 24 to 27. I'm going to read that for you. Uh, well, actually, this is the response. Uh, but there was the, the, this first guy in Luke chapter 18, and for the sake of time, I wasn't going to read the first, like the, the 10 verses right before verse 24. Um, but this, there, there's this uh, religious leader. He's young. He's well-respected uh, in, in both the community and, and in temple. And uh, the Bible says that he had, he had been observing the Ten Commandments his entire life. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And the Bible says that that Jesus um, um, asked him, well, do you know the commandments? And he said, yes, all of those things I've kept since since I was a little kid. And the Bible says that Jesus then looked at him with compassion and then said, there's one thing you're missing. So when Jesus looked at this guy, he he knew what he loved the most. He knew, what was the bar- he knew the barrier between him and, and God, and he said, um, um, sell everything that you have, give it away, and then come follow me. And the Bible says that the rich man walked away from him very sad because he was very rich, which tells us who he was trusting most. What was he trusting most? Was he trusting in God most? Was his faith, his hope, his trust, his confidence, and his love towards the things of God, or was it towards his money? Well, when Jesus gave him the choice, he chose his, his love for money. Now, what I want to remind you is that Cain gave an offering to God, and it wasn't accepted. So this isn't about God getting anything from you other than 100% of your heart. Same as with this rich man. This guy had observed the law of Moses his entire life, um, but Jesus knew the one thing you love more than God is your money if you let go of that if you hung on to your money more loosely you would then have the capacity to love me more fully and the guy wasn't willing to do wasn't willing to do that uh, then then jesus pulls the disciples away after this guy walks away and he says uh, when jesus saw this he says to the disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of god in fact it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this eye of a needle, I've actually been to Jerusalem, and I've been to one of the gates that lead to the Temple Mount. And whenever they were under siege, they would close the gates, but then they would leave this little four-foot door uh, open. And it was about it was the, the width of like one of our doors, but it was only four feet high. And they would do this for security and, uh, uh, purposes. And this was referred to as the, the eye of the needle. So, uh, very, very difficult, uh, especially if you were in a caravan, it was like just a pain in the butt. Often you would just get that city if that's what you had to do to get in. Uh, so those who heard this said to Jesus, then, then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible for people, uh, what is impossible for people is possible with God, because what it takes is a transformation of the human heart to get us to stop worshiping our money and start worshiping God with our money. Uh, The very next day, Jesus is walking into a city called Jericho, and he meets another rich man. So this is two days in a row, with two rich men in a row, who are then confronted with giving themselves fully to God, who had two completely different responses. And and this is in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read uh, 10 verses, and then we'll wrap it up. So Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10, Jesus enters Jericho, and he made his way through the town. Uh, There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Uh, I I think I may have talked about this chapter uh, six or seven years ago, but in those days, uh, the the Jews, if they had any financial dealings with with Romans, they were ceremonially unclean. Uh, So it was difficult for the Romans to collect taxes. So somebody had the brilliant idea of, well, let's find a Jew who would be willing to work for us and betray, betray his own people. Um, but let's make but we'd have to pay that guy a lot of money to get him to do that. Zacchaeus was one of those guys. So he taxed his own people on behalf of the Romans, but in doing so he became ceremonially unclean and wasn't allowed to go to temple anymore. So basically Zacchaeus had come to a place in his life where he chose to become rich even if it meant abandoning God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of his culture for all of eternity. He made the choice to worship money over God. That's who Zacchaeus was. And he was the, the chiefest of, of, of tax collectors. So like, he was even the most egregiously uh, 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 rebellious towards the things of God. So you've got the first guy, who on the outside looked very, very religious and, and kept all the rules and was in temple and was, was elevated to a place of honor and esteem in his local synagogue. Uh, and then you have this other guy who never went to temple, never went to synagogue, and the religious people had no respect for. Uh, that's who Zacchaeus was. The Bible says that he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore uh, fig tree beside the road. And, and so I did a little bit of research, and this is just kind of cool. Uh, the sycamore tree um, has branches that start branching out from the trunk about 12 inches off the ground. And if he was a wee man, The Bible says he was very short, so if he he was like what we would uh, describe as a dwarf, which I believe he was, so if Zacchaeus was a dwarf, a sycamore tree with branches that are just 12 inches off the ground is probably the only tree that Zacchaeus could have climbed. Now, he gets high enough in the tree that when Jesus comes to it, he stops and looks up. And I just find it humorous that there's a man in a dress in a tree above everybody's head. And I just think of how awkward and embarrassing that could potentially be if the dude wasn't careful in his man dress. So he's up on a tree. He ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, the Bible says he looked up at Zacchaeus in the tree, and he said, "Call him by name, Zacchaeus. And I love that, because Zacchaeus had never been introduced to Jesus. Um, and it just kind of lets us know that every single one of us are known by God. He knows who we are. He knows what we're going through. He knows whether or not we love him. We know. He knows whether or not we're, we're doing well right now, if we're struggling right now. Like He's intimately aware of our details. So I don't have to convince God to love me. He already does. I don't have to inform God what's going on in my life, uh, but he loves for me to talk to him about what's going on in my life. Why? Because he genuinely cares. So God, Jesus genuinely cares. He says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I'm, I'm going to your house today. There's a little kid's song I'm not going to sing that I grew up singing. You could Google as soon as this is over, uh, the Zacchaeus Children's Church song. It's it's pretty funny. So Zacchaeus quickly climbs down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement uh, and and joy and hangs out with Jesus for the day. And, and no doubt they had an awesome conversation. At some point uh, during this conversation, uh, Zacchaeus uh, stands up, uh, and, and then, and then he, uh, and then he says, oh, by the way, everybody else was ticked that Jesus went to go hang out with the pagan instead of hanging out with the religious people in the crowd. Uh, so that he has gone to be a guest of a notorious center. They said, meanwhile, Zach, Zach, Zach Zacchaeus stood up at this party that he was having in his house before, before Jesus. And he said, uh, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much as I cheated them out of. What had happened in this guy's heart? He let go of what? His love of money. That's what he let go of. Then Jesus' next response was, and Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today because this man has shown himself to be a true son of God. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Why had salvation come to this guy's house? Because he bought salvation? (laughs) Absolutely not. Why had salvation come to this guy's house? because he changed his heart. The thing that he had been worshiping had been replaced by the one who had given him that. He changed his heart. He let go of his love for money in order to give his heart and his love toward the things of God. The evidence that he had truly chosen to love God was what he did with his money. So when Jesus saw that he was willing to let go of the thing that has been hanging on to his heart, he said, that's what I've been waiting on all along. Uh, and the proof is that what he, what he did with it. So the question that I started with is the question that, I, that I'm ending with. Um, why is it that we can trust God um, with our, our health? We can trust God with our prayers. We can trust God with our eternity, but we can't trust God with our money. Why? Truth. I mean, the only logical answer I believe in biblical answers is because, honestly, we worship our money more than we worship God. Um, it's the same reason why we're a little bit uncomfortable with the subject of the teaching today, and while we're glad that it's an abbreviated service. It's the number one thing that competes for God's attention in our heart. Uh, That's why Jesus said this in the last verse, Matthew chapter sixteen, Matthew six verse twenty-four. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this about money. He said, "No one can serve two masters. You will hate one, and you will love the other. Uh, You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and serve money. You've got to choose. And the truth is, you will either use your money and worship to God, or you will attempt to use God." To get more money but i don't think there's a third option a lot of us honestly we we do the god thing we're pulling levers and checking off religious boxes so that god will will owe us but but truthfully the one part of our heart that we're keeping from him is the thing that we love more than him and that's our resources so to the end so there's just a couple of questions the first is this what does your bank account say about your love for god Honest truth. What does your bank account say about your love for God? Do you give like Cain or do you give like Abel? See, some of us, I think, honestly, we come before God, and everybody else gets theirs first. AT and gets theirs first, and Chase Manhattan Mortgage gets theirs first, or you know, Rockland Trust gets theirs first. Um, um, it, it, everybody else, everybody gets a, a piece of the pie, and if there's and if there's anything left. Then, then we honor God, and, and that's, a, that's a cane offering, and, and I don't think that God's interested in our money. I think he's interested in our heart, and when he sees that everybody else gets theirs before he's thought of, he knows exactly where he ranks in our heart, and I think the excuse that we give to ourselves is that, well, at least we gave something, but God's not interested in something He's interested in everything. And what he wants most is my heart. That's what he wants. Or are we giving an Abel offering? Where we look at what we get, our, our paycheck. And we look at that before anybody else gets at it. and We decide how much of this belongs to God. Now, we don't know what Cain gave to God. We don't know what Abel, as far as value, we, we don't know. But what we do know is that Abel's offering was right off the top. It was it was before anything else came. Like 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 God God came first. Abraham comes along and codifies that into a ten percent, and then and then and then the New Testament comes along and and then Jesus raises the bar and says it's 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 all mine. And you see, the first Church of Jerusalem they were giving a hundred percent of of their income to God through their local church family. Um, um, but the the idea was that it came came from their heart. Uh, Paul says uh, in in the book of First uh, Corinthians and in Second Corinthians he talks about money. He says that it's in proportion to what we make. So what should you give? I, I don't know. That's that's between you and God. But what I do know is it must be chosen before you give to anything else, and that it's in proportion to what you make. It's a percentage. Like like it needs to be specific uh, because this is what honors God before anybody else gets theirs. You give to God uh, what what comes from your heart, and and for my wife and I, uh, it's it's enough that it causes us to like, pay attention and get a little bit nervous. What it, what our giving does is it forces us to to depend on God for another week, and that's that's what honors God is our dependence on Him. So God doesn't want your offering; He wants your heart. He just knows that your heart follows uh, your offering. And as far as what to give, it's 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 between you and God. Um, I, I I like like whatever it is now, push, and then whatever it is then, then then push. So my wife and I keep keep pushing because we want to grow in our faith and and in our dependence on God. Um, so we're we're gonna. I, I don't know where you're at, but I, I hope you do. Um, so ask this again. Um, what does your bank account say about about your love for God? Um, and are you willing to put God first, and, and I want to say this, we don't give to support a church. My wife and I don't give to Grace Church to support Grace Church. We give to worship God. Uh, but biblically, we do that through the local church. Paul says in Acts chapter 24, he was a really excited. been traveling around the world, and he said, I can't wait to get back to Jerusalem. Uh, he said, because I've been saving up an, an offering. His, his, he said, my, my offering for the poor and for my sacrifice God through that church in Jerusalem. So we give to God, we just do that through a local church. And so Grace Church isn't about what we can get from you, um, or or, or even God. It's about God getting all of you, all of of your heart. And so if Grace Church isn't the place that you feel comfortable uh, giving to God, through, then find a church family that you would trust more, but plug in. Just like every area of our lives, our spiritual development is through a church family. Our worship is through a church family. Um, um, Communion is with a church family. Every area of our life is to be lived out through a local church family, um, just like this one. But I'll say this. That if you're in a bad way right now financially, you're a part of a fantastic church filled with generous people, and we can help you out this week. So if you don't have any groceries in your pantry, uh, if you if, if your utility has been shut off, like like you don't have any power and it has nothing to do with the trees, um, or if your kids need sneakers, uh, so please just send us a private message on Facebook, and we'll, we'll get you financial help this week. Again, we're not here for what we get from you. We're here to be a blessing you. That's what this is about. And if there's any other way that we can help you, uh, in your life at all, all you have to do is tell us. Um, and we want to do it. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, I've just been handed a note, uh, uh, on, on, on paper. We're, we're low tech today. Um, that you, Oh, uh, that, that if you're, if you're jacked up in your finances, um, that you can download a free budget tool to help you get on top of your money because your money's been on top of you long enough by going to that'sgrace.org give. You can find budgeting forms there. Uh, you can also give online as your act of worship to God through this church family today. And uh, for those prayer requests, and if you need those needs, I said to send those to us um, uh, through the Facebook Messenger, but I was wrong. Uh, send those at, in an email to info at that'sgrace.org, and, and we'll help you out this week. Um, God bless you guys. Thanks for rocking with us today, and hopefully we'll see you in person next weekend. Let's close in prayer. God, I'm thankful for the ability to do this, to get together with our church family uh, online. I'm thankful that you care about every area of our life, our, our relationships, our, our singleness, our, our families our connections with other people outside of our family, what we do as a vocation, how we earn money to provide for our family and then then to worship you. God, help us to recognize that you're first. You're first, not just in our marriage, not not just in our parenting, uh, not just with our roommates. You're first, not just with our careers. Uh, God, you're first with our resources. God, you're to be first place in every area of our life. Help us not be afraid of that. Help us to recognize that we are communicating what we worship most uh, with what we give to first. It's just true. I know that's true in my own life, and, it, and it's biblical. Um, so help us with this. It's scary um, because it's 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 so important to us. And that's why it's important to you. Um, God, for those in need, I'm thankful for a church family that has the financial margin that we can help meet those needs. And we only have that margin because all of the godly people, who serve you faithfully every single week in our church family. Keep blessing them, God, and help us all to be a blessing to others. That's our prayer in the name of Jesus, and we all pray and say together, Amen.